show by fans for fans. My name's Eric Morrow, Seattle Mariners baseball, everybody. Let's get started. That smile is back on Junior's face. Line drive, base hit to win it. Hello and welcome to Casuals Corner Show by fans for fans. Seattle Mariners baseball. Here we are, November seventh, twenty twenty three. It's the off season. Let's talk baseball. Tyler, my co-host, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, my friend, and I'm extremely excited for this off season. I think we could both agree it's a very critical one for the Mariners' success going forward. So I'm pumped. Yeah, I mean, the owners are in meetings right now, and my understanding is those meetings are just kind of meet and greets. I'll give you a chance to just kind of open up some communications through all different kinds of paths, uh, you know, a chance to get together and discuss the year. Uh, hopefully some good news will come out of that. You know, Tyler, I said, whoa, let's hold off in the rare chance that something actually happens uh, Monday and uh tuesday and we didn't get any big surprises but i thought it was pretty peculiar uh move with uh, t oscar can you tell me about that yeah i completely agree on i was pretty shocked because let's let's rewind the tape a little bit here my friend so with the qualifying offers a player can choose to sign it or the team can decide not to offer it at all. And then they immediately become a free agent. So last season, the Mariners gave a qualifying offer to a longtime M Mitch Haniger. He declined the qual qual qualifying offer. So he went into free agency. He signed a big contract with San Francisco and that netted the Mariners a competitive balance type of draft pick, which was at the end of the first round. So my thinking was that the Mariners were going to offer Teo for sure, because it would be about one year's $20 million. Not too bad right there. You're not tied in long term. And if he decides to turn you down and go to free agency, then we would get another competitive pick at the end of the first round for the next baseball draft. And the Mariners didn't offer him at all. They declined that. So it leaves me with a couple of things in my head there with them not offering the qualifying offer. First off, we know and we heard Jerry's interview a little earlier that the Mariners are done with so many strikeout kings in the lineup. It's okay to have a couple. You can't have your whole team being a bunch of K machines. And then another idea that hit my head was, are they saving money for some bigger fish in the pond, Eric? Are they not wanting to end up with a $20 million right fielder on their payroll for this upcoming season when they might be trying to land some bigger fish in the sea. Those are at least my initial thoughts. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's one thing if Teal would have come in and, and really scorched up the 
the scoreboard, but he didn't, and it was a struggle. I find it peculiar that uh, we're saving nickels and dimes. I, I just don't get that. We've taken three or four or five years' worth of um, extra profits that we could set aside for a run at the, at the World Series, and, uh, you know, we want to build a competitive team for years, but we don't want to sit here and wait for years for it to get competitive either so that's kind of where i'm at um you know it's just weird they didn't give him the qualifying offer it's if he accepts it you get decent value for what you're paying if he doesn't accept it you get a draft pick what is going on they're trying to save I, I hear you. Let's hope they're going to make that pitch to Otani. We didn't get any big news on the first day, and we didn't get any big news on the second day. And and it's like when you go to see the, uh, or you're waiting for the trade deadline and nothing really happens. So um, I thought it deserved a bit of a delay to, to record this show, but really besides Teo, uh, nothing happened. Now, Tyler, I don't know. I need to check up on this, but uh, when do they have to tender contracts to folks like Ty France and uh, and those guys that are in year one, two, or three? You know, I'm honestly not sure when they have to declare for arbitration. The only date I was really curious about at first was uh, November 14th is the deadline for players that received qualifying offers to either accept or decline and the major players that might be on the mariners radar is otani bellinger and chapman that all received qualifying offers but we could all bet a decent amount of money that all three of them will turn them down and go to free agency so it'll be interesting to see yeah, those guys are going to turn it down. It's a no-brainer in almost all situations what to do. It's like the options that they put into contracts. I mean, whoever has control of that option really controls the situation. Uh, if a guy does crappy, he can just pick up his own option if it's a player option. It, you know, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. <sighs> These guys are uh, going to be free agents. I have to think they're waiting here's the here's a conundrum have they talked to otani yet is he interested in in playing for us is stanton interested in open up his pocketbook what it's going to take to have a winning team you know we don't know those things i wish we did do you wait for otani and while these other players start signing with other teams and end up with pollock and aj what was his name yeah, you got it. Pollock and Wong were our two <laughs> underwhelming veterans we acquired last offseason. Listella? <laughs> I forgot about him. We got rid of him so quickly. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that was some real crap. We didn't know what was going on last year. By the way, your wife, may, I, I just look on Facebook and... Your wife makes these wonderful dishes. Uh, uh, geez, they're so good-looking uh, dishes. I want to have a bowl myself. <laughs> uh, give me a second. I'm going to put yum on here. 
<laughs> I was actually the sous chef tonight, so she okay. had a little bit of help telling me what to do, and I just execute the plan, just like laying down a good sacrifice bunt. That's it. That's it. Looks like a, a wonderful um, Italian-type plate. I mean, it looks good. I like that kind of food. Uh, so I got delayed by your wife's pictures of food. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure if I come and visit, she she would take care of me perfectly. Um, she makes some great breads too. That that sourdough she makes looks awesome, bud. Oh, I'm a spoiled dude on my lunch breaks, man. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's see. That's what I want to know. And I don't know. Did we get an answer? What the? You have to answer the qualifying offer. Um. If you get a chance, maybe you can look on your phone or maybe I can. I want to know when these contracts have to be tendered for these ARB guys, uh, arbitration mm -hmm. guys. And uh, the team needs to make a decision. I would assume it's pretty soon, Tyler. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, just to circle back a little bit. So there is actually a lot of good hitters on the market that did not receive qualifying offers from their original team so it's not completely out of right field for tail nut to not receive it so we got solaire from miami we got hoskins from philly we have jd martinez from the la dodgers we have brantley from our hated astros and whip merrifield from toronto I'm not as high on Brantley and Merrifield. The first three guys I talked about, I would be much higher on. But I guess what I'm getting at is there are good players not receiving those offers. And I think it's just teams trying to put themselves in a better position. Maybe they can get these guys on less dollars per year and more years on the contract. And I don't think the story is written with Teo yet on the Mariners because when I was looking on the internet, Eric, they're projecting Teo to maybe be $16 million a year type of player. And so maybe the Mariners are even thinking, I've seen the Seahawks do this a couple of times where they might decline the option or the qualifying offer, but they're still going to try to get in the mix to retain the player. So we'll just see how it plays out. We'll just see how it plays out and whether that upsets the player in the process. That's a good point. Sometimes it's the biggest um, hurdle there. So we'll get back to it November 17th. So that's, let's help me pr uh, put this list together. So that includes players like Ty France, mm -hmm. uh, includes Cal Raleigh. Yes or no? Hmm. Third year for him. I would think he's going into his first year of arbitration. Probably, probably. Of course, he'll be tendered, but uh, these these things have to be made official. Um, who else do we have? We've got uh, Rojas. No, you know, you're probably looking at, I don't think JK is. Um, anybody I'm missing there? I'm sure there is. Uh, Tom Murphy's going to free agency. 
So, okay, Eric, of the major players that we actually would care about, or maybe in your case, not care about, Ty France is on arbitration two. Good for him. Logert Gilbert, arbitration one. So he'll get a much-deserved pay raise coming up. Rojas, arbitration two. We got Topa and Ford, arbitration one. And then Sam Haggerty, arbitration one so in terms of those guys that are going to get a pay raise either with the mariners or with not we're we're looking in really good shape uh, we're not going to have to spend a ton of money this season on arbitration eligible players and obviously obviously logan gilbert is at the very top of that list in terms of priority yeah or you could trade him Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know how much I love Logan, but the more I love a guy, the more he's going to get in return. The league's not stupid. You need a trade value to get value. And if we could get, you know, some really quality young bats, like like you always talk about, Eric, it, it's probably time for strong moves and maybe he's included in that. You know, you could do that, ladies and gentlemen. You could trade Logan Gilbert for two quality hitters in St. Louis. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can. And um, young infielders may not be the most slickest defenders that ever lived in the world, but still quality bats um, like fans from the other team will be crying when they, when they trade him. You can still get that for Logan Gilbert. And... Uh, then you have those two bats and you have the woo and you have the Miller to bring up in your system, still making 700 and some thousand dollars, right, Tyler? Oh, absolutely. Some of the greatest bargains in sports. And you've been right on the track the whole time, all the way since the all-star break, Eric, targeting the Cardinals. You got Gorman. You got Newbar. We could even maybe try to go the old player route with a Paul Goldschmidt. At 35, he makes me extremely nervous. But, I mean, he was the MVP of the National League just last season. So... Th I'm on the train with you. Oh, it breaks my heart to trade Gilbert, but it's probably the time to try to make some strong moves. You know, they go from uh, a really affordable, underpaid, and then they have a year where they're reasonably paid. Depending, It depends on the player, of course, right? And then uh, it gets expensive after that. So, you know, if you're looking for a way to save money... <clears throat> and you believe in Wu, and you believe in Miller, then why trade one of those when you could trade Logan Gilbert? You've got other irons in the fire that are healing up. Um, I watched the Seahawks get clobbered uh, this week. Uh, what was it, 37-3 to 3 or something? <laughs> yeah, it was that ugly. You know, and, and the thing I noticed about Baltimore Ravens is they're balanced. Their 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 offense is balanced. It's really good. Their defense is balanced. It's really good. Their kicking team and and the other teams that do their jobs. It's all really good. 
and it's tough to find a weakness in the team. That's what I'm talking about with balance. Nobody wants to not be short on pitching, but teams every year figure it out. Every year they figure it out and go into the playoffs. You need some bats to balance this team out. You need some bats to make this team look exciting. You know, I, I really couldn't agree more. And I was on the pitching train for the last few years, but it feels like the steam in the engine is finally kind of worn out in this third season, relying so heavily on our pitching, Eric. And we look at the Rangers and the Mariners, and obviously Texas just won the World Series, but they're so much more of a balanced, well-rounded team than our beloved Mariners. In the regular season, Mariners were only two games behind Texas, but the run differential was plus 165 for Texas and plus 99 for Seattle. Head-to-head, -head, Texas took us out 9-4, to four, and then... I was looking at each game of the World Series, Eric, and this is where I'm jumping on your more balanced team type of train, because if you have a balanced team, the key to being super successful in any sport is how many different ways can you win a game? The last few years, the Mariners have been pretty good, but we basically win if our pitching kills it. The Rangers had one blowout win in the World Series. They had one blowout loss. They had one pitcher duel win. They had one medium scoring game extra inning win. And then they had one high, high scoring win. So they proved in the World Series at the biggest stage that their balance across the board, they are able to win four different type of games. And that's something the Mariners need to add to their repertoire big time. Yeah, and you know... um, I, I appreciate that. It, we just have to have a more balanced team, ladies and gentlemen, and I assume that they're working on that. Uh, we've seen that St. Louis uh, had all those bats, and I mean, they've got some good bats. And, and when you read in their community, you try to pry one of those prospects or young players away from them, and they're just crying tears. Uh, but they know they have to do something. Uh, having a bunch of bats and no pitching can make you do like last place in the worst division in baseball or arguably in all of that mess. And I don't know if they were last place, but they didn't have a very good year at all. They've got tons of pitching. They have no, they have no starting pitching. Arizona has very little starting pitching and they held their own until the, uh, until the world series because the, the two or three that they were counting on really rocked it and they really pitched well and if you can get on a roll and i bet if they didn't have to play that wild card series whatever this is what can be done with two or three great pitchers uh, you can go deep into the playoffs yes you've got to have five pitchers every week but not every team runs out of Marco Gonzalez on every fifth day, and, and people cry about it here, Tyler. Oh, absolutely. And we know that that guy is not 
the most dominating pitcher ever per se but it's all about giving your team a chance to win he's not paid to be the ace of the staff although some would argue and myself included he gets paid very handsomely for what he does but that's not the point eric you gotta have so the 162 versus the playoffs are so different as we know if you want to have a very successful team across the regular season you probably need seven to ten starters that you feel good about between the bigs and triple a but this is why i've always been so bullish on if the mariners can actually make the playoffs you're talking about arizona they got two or three starters that you can actually feel good about but in a short series that's all you really need and if we can line up castillo Gilbert, Kirby, man, I feel really good about my chances in a short series there. Thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, think about it, folks. How many times did we face bullpen games this year? I'm guessing, but I, I would say between seven and nine times. How many bullpen games did we throw? Maybe one, maybe one at the end of the season. That tells me that not every team has a good fifth starter uh, at all. I mean, you know, not, you know, Marcus looks great or Marco looks great compared to uh, uh, a bullpen day. Of course, I will tell you, we lost almost every bullpen day we faced this year uh, in humiliating fashion. It's, <laughs> it's true. Um, the Seahawks offense recently has been very frustrating to watch. The Mariners offense is very, very frustrating to watch. Uh, we watch average pitchers just befuddle this team uh, for months on end. So let's hope they get that figured out. I mean, I'd still like to see him go for something like a Juan Soto, uh, Tyler. I don't. I, here's the deal. We had Teal for one year. He played. And now he's going to probably go to somebody else. Who's to say we can't do the same with Soto? Play him for a year, sign Otani, and go get a ring. And you know I'm on that train. And not just because Juan Soto is an ascending superstar. He actually is a wonderful wonderful player in terms of the identity that jerry scott and the mariners want to put out there so we keep getting these strikeout kings as we talk about but they want to have the mantra control the zone and there's probably very few players that are better at controlling the zone than juan soto and then i would also add the perception becoming reality aspect to it is that if we trade for that kind of guy baseball players see this and then they realize we're actually serious fans can say what they want about robinson cano if we didn't sign him first nelson cruz never would have ended up in seattle showing that you're serious really means something across the landscape of these really good ball players, they see what's going on team to team. You know, it, everything hinges on Otani, I think, and depending on which what type of vibes they get from from him and his agent, whether he's truly interested or they have a shot, uh, then 
we could still afford some trades this year i would love to see them go after it and i would love to see them uh go for a soto who else is on the block maybe alonzo yeah a lot of people are saying pete alonzo um you're the one that always points to what is it steve cohen the crazy spender new owner for the Mets that you never really know what he's about to do so it's really hard for me to predict with the Mets but a lot of Mariners fans have been shouting for Big Pete the polar bear and that would be awesome Otani he's obviously the creme de la creme I'm getting nervous though Eric because I read earlier today while I was eating lunch that the Dodgers are quote obsessed with Otani and that just makes me nervous because they can obviously match any dollar amount that someone throws out there so the Mariners are gonna have to do the best sell job they ever had or maybe find a different option hmm. yeah I have no doubt the the Dodgers are just uh uh, doing a jig over wanting him to join their team or become a, a a dodger yeah we'll just have to see you know um the to was a very peculiar decision and if they didn't think they had a chance to sign otani would they be counting their pennies like this i don't know we can only read the tea leaves oh for sure the only thing I would say is that, especially at a team at the Mariners payroll type of level, $20 million would be a big, big difference to our ownership group. And maybe that is the difference they're thinking. Like, we can't get above, say, let's just pick an imaginary number. We can't go above $160 million. Well, maybe we could still afford Otani and another bat or two at a lower level if we're willing to let Teo walk. I'm still just surprised, though, because they had such a great formula last year coming up with those three first-round picks, and I truly believe they are going to offer Teo even if they didn't fully buy into wanting him just because they knew that they could get that late first-round pick on the back end. But, hey either they're just playing with fire or they have a plan that we don't know about yeah so uh we'd hope some news would be coming up but we don't have it any any news of any substance <laughs> well eric i've I got, I got a little bit nerdy on this one and they call it the hot stove league but we both know the water ain't boiling at all but the Mariners did make a few small moves here, and I just want to touch on those really quick, especially because they're so small. We all know the superstars, and I was curious. So the Mariners acquired Cody Bolton from Pittsburgh for cash. He's a 25-year-old righty reliever. He struggled in 21 and a third innings in the majors this season he was pretty solid in triple a and 46 plus innings and to me eric this guy screams to me the typical jerry diamond in the rough reliever 
His stats weren't great, but he's only 25 and only 21 major league innings. But his average fastball is 95.2 with a changeup and a sweeper with a way above average spin rate. So we're thinking that maybe he could be the next Topa, the next Spire, or at the highest level, maybe the next Seawald in terms of finding a diamond in the rough. And then we made a really small, it, may, it could actually be bigger than we think, a catcher-for-catcher catcher trade with Tampa Bay. Everyone in the league, every fan, every GM get nervous. It seems like Tampa Bay rips off everybody, including us. Mm-hmm. But we got a 24-year-old catcher, Blake Hunt. He was in Triple A this season. He had an 8.35 OPS at Triple A, 7.96 OPS at Double A. So it feels like this guy can hit. I know the Mariners are very interested in trying to retain Tom Murphy, but I feel if he's going to hit free agency, they wanted an insurance policy. And this catcher, this Blake Hunt, Eric, definitely seems like a hitter more than a catcher because his caught stealing percentage is only 18% and good catchers are generally at 30%. The catcher that we traded Tatum Levins is way down in low a Modesto. He is doing a great job down there, but low a Modesto is so far down there. You never know if a guy will make it all the way up. So we basically traded for a catcher that's close for a catcher. That's not close at all. Why would a team do that? See, and with Tampa Bay, the way they always seem to win trades, doesn't that make you a little leery? I could hear that in your voice right there, Eric. Um, The only thing I could think is Tampa Bay always has to make these sort of moves to get out ahead of it because they can't retain any other good players, basically. They do a great job of drafting, signing, developing, but we both know that the Mariners look like a rich team compared to them. So that's my, that's my one guess. Sure. Sure. Um, or they've got a, a, a glut of them. Yeah. Mm. You know, if, I mean, think about going to the slimiest, slimiest used car lot on, Oh, Tacoma. We love you. But uh, what is it? Tacoma way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long street, and along there they've got several car dealerships, and some of them are really pretty sleazy. That's what I'm trying to get across. Um, that's what it's like dealing with the Tampa Bay Rays, in my opinion. <laughs> they don't trade anything unless it has a major problem or, you know, I mean, it. all I have to say is Diego Castillo. <laughs> the guy's not even in in major league baseball and hasn't been for uh, he wasn't with us all this year was he and he got sent down last year didn't he tyler yeah and he was making good money to top it off i'll add another one tampa bay ripped us off when we traded zanino for malik smith i believe so they basically ripped us off a couple of times and we're not the only team they seem to do this across Mm -hmm. baseball i'll I'll take your analogy a little bit further they get the car nice and detailed but the engine's about shot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Can I look underneath it? Oh, no, no need. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, um, so that's where we're at. What else do we got going on? Any particular, I've got a list here. Any particular free agents you're really wanting? Um, we've talked about the Japanese star that's coming over. I need to get his name written down because I have trouble remembering it. What was it that... that fantastic pitcher coming in from japan so yamamoto is going to sign with either the yankees the mets or the dodgers he is basically on uh, most people's radar yamamoto 25 year old starter from japan is second or third on almost every free agency list and then there's a couple other pitchers that are well-received. And, you know, my target is probably unrealistic knowing the way the Mariners spend. But left-handed left -handed reliever Yuki Matsui, the guy is an absolute stud. He's already done nine years of service over there, so he's a true free agent, no posting fee. And he's still only 28. So that guy's been basically playing pro ball since 19. So those are those are the two pretty big fish, I, I would say. And then another interesting name is people are wondering if you remember, I think it's Masahiro Tanaka, who was a good pitcher for the Yankees years ago, went back to Japan. I think he's about 35 or so. I don't really think he's a Mariners target, but I just thought it was interesting that a lot of people think he might come back to major league baseball and i don't know if we've ever seen a japanese player do that eric where they came over to america played major league baseball went back to japan and was still good enough and decided oh hell i want to come back to the bigs so we'll see what happens there yeah i think the uh what is it called npd or something the japanese league nippon professional baseball league so np L or the, anyhow, they were using the acronym for it. Um, that's kind of considered the second best baseball league in the world, ladies and gentlemen. And these these players that uh, Tyler just talked about are bullying um, all those players. I mean, the first guy you're looking at like a 182 ERA and pitched 250 innings or something crazy. These guys are really really good. Uh, would love to get that, but that's a luxury, right? Uh, pitching's a luxury for us, isn't it, Tyler? Oh, absolutely. I really think our bullpen can use more help, but we know that one of the strengths of this regime is finding random relievers that turn into studs, and our lineup needs so much help that we probably need to rely and hope that they can unearth some hidden gems and that's why i was so intrigued by this uh recent trade they made the other day although it seems so small i'm pretty pumped just on the mariners track record and it sounds like this cody bolton has good stuff and he was flirting between triple a and mlb this past season so it seems like he's about ready if they can get him right so well, keep us updated on him as the as the season goes along. Uh, we'll be interested in seeing. I mean, you know, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face. Um, finding relievers under rocks is great. 
but there's no guarantee it's going to continue to happen. Um, so, yeah, some planning needs to go on. Does this team just have a couple holes, or does it need to be half bulldozed the lineup, Tyler? I don't, I don't think so at all. And hopefully a few of our players get better. But I really think that if we... I mean, the greatest thing ever would be to get an Otani or even a Cody Bellinger. I'm more on the Otani train because I feel he's more reliable. Bellinger was outstanding this past season. He's going to get an enormous contract. He was the MVP in 2019, but spent like two or three years average or below average. So I don't even really know what to think of him exactly. But we definitely need to add some punch. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I don't think free agency is bad as the media makes it out to be. And maybe that's just because they're always looking for a $300 million superstar. I mean, I'm thinking of Jorge Soler, JD Martinez, maybe bring Carlos Santana back, Brandon Belt, Justin Turner, Jock Peterson. Jason Hayward, although he makes me nervous because he was bad for a few years before he revived his career. But there are guys out there to improve the lineup without getting a superstar. The thing is, Eric, to me, is if we're unable to acquire a superstar, which there's only a couple of out there, then we really need to fortify this lineup with maybe three or four quality veterans i i'm not i'm not looking for this bottom shelf vodka that tastes like Ugh. you know paint remover I, I want some good stuff that makes a smile well and i mean the team deserves it because it's it's built well in other areas and to, ha to leave the paint you know just flaking off the garage that's right next to the freshly painted house is kind of dumb when you're trying to make everything look good and everything function well and that's what we need with these bats is to come alive uh tyler three or four uh veteran bats that sounds semi bulldozer to me that's a good point i mean i guess i was just looking at it a little differently because i was thinking like that would be taking away your core but let's just look at it, eric i mean as much as we love Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty, you're going into a do-or-die game with two or three games left in the season, and those guys are starters. And you know how much I love Mike Ford. So you're going into do-or-die baseball, two games left in the season, and you're rolling out a starting lineup with Mike Ford, Dylan Moore, and Sam Haggerty. I mean, we we got to do better than that, can't we? Well, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's just really a disgrace what they did there at the end of the, but that's the players they had available. And I don't remember exactly why and how that was all the case, but uh, uh, I know Tyler does. Um, we've been kind of doing something new here, Tyler, and you've kind of taken the flag uh, by, or the bull by the horns on it. And it's called, you got to love these guys. What have you got for us this week? Well, you gotta love these guys, and there's a certain affinity, Eric, I talk about. There's a certain pride as a Mariners fan, and I do love these guys. The reason we're critical is because we care, and this team is close. When you suck, 
that's where the apathy comes in. If you're a pro sports organization, you would rather have your fans care. And we do love these guys. And today we want to focus on the most crafty of all lefties, Jamie Moyer. 25 years in the big leagues, 11 of them with Seattle. His prime years, pretty funny because his prime years are about 32 to 42, but was with Seattle. He's a class act. Now, here's a fun little tidbit here, Eric. So my little sister was on a or on her high school softball team. She is a small woman. And so a lot of these softball pitchers are bigger, thicker girls that just overpower you. But as a small half Japanese young woman, she had to be very crafty. She pitched every single inning of the entire season that got to fourth, I believe, in state at the state tournament. And she modeled her game after the great Jamie Moyer. Anything you want to say about this legend? No, no. Well, I mean, he is a legend, and his durability is something to be uh, uh, celebrated. He was not always the uh, the most potent uh, potent pitcher. Um, I think you would find him. I don't know. I, I when I think of him, I think of Marco. Am I off on that, Tyler? I mean, they're not the same, but they 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 kind of are the, a crafty lefty. Um, they don't have tremendous power, but they figure out how to make how to get the game won. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, and I doubt that Marco's going to pitch for 50 years or 25 years. <laughs> you know, it's just some of these guys are just amazing what they can do, and th the thing you remember of about Jamie Moore, Moyer is he's come to resurrect his 18-year-old career uh, that's gone down the crapper with Seattle, and he does, and he comes up and, and he does a good job. I don't know what how many years he'd been in the league, but plenty. Do you, do you know, can you tell us more about his stay with the Mariners? Yeah, so the beginning of his career from about 24th, through 32 we acquired him at about 32 years old he was honestly a pretty unsuccessful vagabond for the most part as a starting pitcher baltimore boston the mariners traded for him in the middle of the year and he started off doing extremely well right away his career with the mariners it's 11 seasons, but when you look at it closer, because we traded for him midseason when we got him, we traded him midseason when we were really crappy to competitive Philly. So it's kind of more like 10 years, really. But anyways, he was 145 and 87 with a 3.97 ERA. Not exactly the most sexy ever, but you said it, Eric. This is a guy that keeps you in the ball game every time. He's basically a way better Marco. You have, you're spot on on that. Interesting tidbit. He, he's a one-time All-Star. It was with the Mariners, and it was at age 40. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, 
you know, his story just gets more unique every year as the guy gets older. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's what we see out of lefties sometimes. They're just, they know how to stick around. And uh, you got to pat a guy on the back who does that. I didn't realize he'd spent so much time with us. I didn't realize his record was so great. Uh, yeah, it's great to hear about Jamie Moyer. That's for sure. Anything else to add about him? So we all remember his longevity. When you say Jamie Moore, you immediately think longevity. But at his peak with the Mariners, he had a year where he finished in three seasons of the 11 with the Mariners. He finished fourth, fifth, and sixth in Cy Young voting. So he was a top five, top 10 pitcher in the American League at his peak with the Mariners. His best season was that magical 2001 year with 116 wins, a critical piece of that team, Eric. He went 20 and six that year with a 3.43 ERA and a 1.102 whip. And in his 10 to 11 seasons as a Mariner, he pitched 2,093 innings. What a reliable workhorse. Yeah, so, I mean, and with that, with those facts there, I, I really need to modify my commentary on him. Uh, the fact that it, he had probably, but they love him in Philly too, um, some of his most successful. I mean, the guy had just dinked around the league for six or seven or eight, ten years and, and really accomplished nothing and comes here and starts to really put together some professional baseball, a long, long um, tenure deal he won more than 54 percent of his uh decisions so um great job jamie moyer i moyer i know they love him in philly too i seen him throwing out the first pitch uh in some bright colored overalls you see that tyler no i'm gonna have to try to find that on youtube yep yep so uh he threw out the first pitch they love him there uh that was in the playoff series so well thank you for uh giving us um something to chew on there uh the great jamie moyer it's fun it's fun and one thing we're gonna do here with you gotta love these guys eventually i'll circle back to the greatest legends of the team but we all know about griffey edgar randy I kind of wanted to dig into these secondary stars that were just critical Mariners over the years that need a little bit more love and a little bit more shine from the fan base, in my opinion. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's fun to hear about these guys. You know, my memory is not something that would win any awards, so sometimes it's really great to hear uh, what I watched so many years ago, again, described to me um, and realize how important they were to this team. Oh, heck yeah, heck yeah. We are both, you know, longtime Mariners fans. And even through the bad years or the good years, there's a lot of fan favorites that we really appreciate. And even when the team stunk, we know that a, a, most of these guys gave everything they had. So... Hats off. 
It's the off season, folks, so we've been talking a little bit of football. We'll be talking about that a little bit further on the show. Uh, we'll start with Seahawks because there's more Seahawks fans, and then we'll local uh, zone into some local Western Washington football of interest. And when I say Western Washington, I mean Washington football, uh, and that'll be coming up later in the episode. I don't expect much to really talk about new by Sunday. I think that's before our tender date, unless they decide to, to uh, uh, you know, they the Mariners have a chance to re, uh, release just about anybody they want to. So um, that's not true. They have a chance to release players that are not free agents and signed for a long contract if they decide that those players don't have any value and they don't want to fool with them anymore. So maybe that news will get maybe something on the free agent front. I doubt it. What do you see by the time we talk again in four or five days? You are most likely right too, Eric. And baseball at least in recent memory, it feels like the biggest fish in the sea sign after the GM meetings. So I believe it's the owners meetings right now. GM meetings, I believe, are mid to late November. And that's when it really starts to heat up. But we'll see. There's a lot of speculation that Otani might sign earlier than we think. And whether it's the Mariners or not, my personal belief is if Otani signs earlier, the whole process is going to speed up because there's going to be a bunch of teams that we're going to try to acquire this super mega star are going to have to jump into high gear to figure out all their contingency plans. So it'll be interesting to see hot stove league burners not working, but we know it's going to get hot real fast when the time comes. Yeah, I'll, we'll bring in a kerosene heater if we have to. Uh, that's just the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just the way we roll here at Casuals Corner. We're going to talk Mariners baseball, even if there's nothing to talk about. I've had a great time, Tyler. I appreciate you spending time with us here uh, this week and and your help in the show. Thank you, Tyler. Have a good night, everybody. guys hey welcome to the football part of the show casuals corner you know it's that time of year there's not much going on in baseball or there is but it's just come it doesn't come out every day you know the news doesn't come out every day in baseball and of course it's football season and the number one sport in the northwest we know it's football we're going to talk seahawks first and we've just uh just terrible news uh what's the date today fellas the 5th of november the 5th of November, 2023, and it's been a terrible loss on the Seahawks side. And then we're going to talk about some good news. We're going to talk about the Husky um, win over USC. I figure we talk Seahawks first because there's plenty of folks who like Seahawks who don't like the Huskies. But uh, uh, I can speak for Tyler, and Indy seems to be in on all this, too, is uh, we're Western Washington guys, and we like the Western Washington team, so we'll give you a chance to check out if you're not a Husky person. All right, let's get to it. Indy, give me a summary of today's football game. It was not pretty. 
Uh, we got beat down by the Baltimore Ravens. We they controlled the clock, gassed our defense, and did what an elite team should do to a team that is not playing their best football and beat us and beat us and beat us and beat us over and over again. It's been a frustrating few weeks here for me to watch the team. I mean, they've, they've come out and win these games, but Tyler, isn't it the most frustrating thing in the world to watch this offense here the last three or four weeks? It has been pretty brutal. The defense has played really well the last few weeks. They actually had a good start to the game. We stopped the Ravens on their first two drives, I believe, giving up zero points in the first quarter, but an absolute anemic offense. And a team like this, a running game like that, a home advantage as Baltimore has, eventually there's enough cracks in the dam and it will break and the floodgates will open and it absolutely washed us away. This was an a beatdown of epic proportions, Eric. I honestly can't even remember the last time the Seahawks, or almost any NFL team for that matter, got absolutely manhandled like this. It felt like it might have been Alabama playing Edmonds Community College for Pete's sakes. It was ridiculous. It was pretty bad out there. Um yeah, so Indy, I want you to tell me, number one, I, I'm pointing fingers at quarterbacks and I'm pointing fingers at offensive line. Uh, tell me about what's going on with the offensive line, will you? Uh, yeah, they've been banged up pretty much all season. Uh, I think I th I'm pretty sure every single position has had an injury at some point. So there's been no consistency all year, and you know, that's definitely not going to help a quarterback. Um, Gino's just not helped them either by holding on to the ball too long, making bad decisions with the football, uh, not stepping up into the pocket, little things like that. But I mean, Gino's press conference, the little bit of I saw that I saw today, you know, he owned it. It looked like Pete Carroll was genuine, genuine in his response too that he's. He stands behind Gino, but that he is concerned with the turnovers and that he's going to take a look at things. I don't know what that means entirely, but something has to change with, with this this uh, decision-making of Gino's. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing that uh, that I think baseball and football are similar in is, is the offensive line re reminds me of a starting rotation and you've got a team of men it's all men who do this uh, a team of men that uh you know work together as one unit um but it's a violent position or pitching is a violent motion on one's body and injuries are just almost a part of everyday life uh, hopefully you don't get a bad run of injuries because a bad run of injuries on out of a five-man group could be two or three uh does any tyler do you have any thoughts about who have we drafted the last two years on this line are they injured are they out for the year what's going on bud well what's funny to me is 
Individually, I think the talent on the line's pretty good, but like Indy said, there's been somewhat of a lack of continuity because of all these injuries. We spent a top 10 pick on left tackle cross for a second year player. He's pr pretty much been a stud. He's not perfect. Nobody is. And it's such a tough position, especially today. These pass rushers. Tell me what position he plays. Left tackle. So he's out there on the blind side. You guys might remember Walter Jones might be the best to ever do it absolute gold standard not only for the league but for the Seahawks as well so I never am going to compare Cross to Jones but if he could even be Okung and I think he's got the talent to be better that would be awesome native son Abe Lucas our buddy Indy's talked about him a few times and from a personal level he's from Everett Washington just a little bit north of Seattle went to Wazoo drafted in the third round by the Seahawks so not only being a stud player who's been injured almost all year he is just a basic local fan favorite been a Northwesterner his whole life we have spent third and fourth round picks on our guards one absentee player who was injured today, a rookie, what is it, Anthony Bradford from LSU. This is a mammoth man, an absolute stud. He's become one of my favorite players. He is a rookie, and he is deaf. There's no one player on a football team that's going to make up a 34-point difference in one ball game. But I really felt that we missed him because they're so big and physical right down the middle. I mean, let's face it, guys. Baltimore absolutely manhandled, manhandled us. I'm getting very worried about Geno. I've been a fan of his because at least last season, for the most part, he protected the ball. He made smart decisions for the most part. We got a bunch of big plays down the field. And right now, it feels like we're kind of just spinning our tires in the mud right now. And I, and I get that, guys. Um, I want some facts, though. How many of our top five guys that play their position guard two guards, a center, and two tackles. How many of those guys are out and have been out for most of the year or significant portions of the year? And when are they expected to come back? Do you have that information, Indy? Or can you find it for me? Um, Abe Lucas is the only one that's been out for like a super extended period of time. What is his position? One. Right tackle. And he he's probably the... He's one of our best run-blocking offensive linemen, for sure. And he's pretty good in the pass pro area as well. How many years has he been in the league? We drafted him last year. Last year. Do you I remember in the, the pick third number? round? Third I think round? the third round. Yeah, I think. When do we Six. expect him back? They, they have not been giving any really, any solid information. It's, what kind of injury you know, does he have? I think it's a toe injury, or no, maybe that was Charles Cross. I can't remember. Let me look right now. No, he he's dealing with a shoulder, and my guess, Eric, is the fact that they haven't released too much information or set a super steady timeline, because you know in pro sports, they get very awesome, top-quality doctors looking at these players, and... 
I get the feeling that they're trying to do whatever they can to keep him from season-ending surgery, but we're halfway through the season, so I'm kind of, my gut feeling is saying that it might be inevitable at this point. He's still on injured reserve, which means they have to activate him, uh, either cut a player or send a player to the practice squad before they can bring him back. So there's still a process. It's not like he's a week away, it seems like. It really feels like they're just trying to do whatever they can to avoid a season-ending surgery, I think. It says here's his knee. Really? Yeah, it says he had an injection in his knee injury on October 30th. He's running, oh, but there's right. still some steps that need to be made before he returns to the field. We won't let you down here at Casual's Corner if if one of us makes a wrong turn, the other guy comes back and grabs us. So that's how we run around here. Uh, thank you for that information, fellas. That really helps me understand our right tackle is a problem. Let's talk about our left tackles figured out, right? He's healthy, right? Yeah, he is now. He dealt with some a toe injury earlier in the season He he in week one. Um, our right guard, Phil Haynes, or I believe he's right guard, has has dealt with an injury or two. I think he missed two weeks. Do we know what it is? Do we know how long he's been in the league? Phil Haynes. All those questions. I think he's in year three or four. Um, maybe longer. Fifth year player. We so he finished out his rookie contract, and we signed him to a one year deal. I want to say a fourth round pick. I think and. He's been good when he's in there. He just seems to always get the injury bug. And football is just one of those sports where injuries are a 100% chance of happening. It's just the severity, really. And so he came back off an of injury this week, and the guy that replaced him went to the bench with injury, Bradford, who I'm so high on. And I'm not really trying to make excuses here. It's just... It's kind of a calamity of errors, Eric, across the board on offense. But I want to home into the I want to home into the offensive line. That's what I want to talk about right now. And I want to get an idea what's what's going on with this offensive line. And then we can move to other departments. Um we got Phil Haynes, he's doing a decent job. Who do we have at left guard? Uh D Lou. Damian Lewis. Okay. He's from LSU. He Thank was you. second or third round pick, right? Third round pick, and he's from maybe the best offense in college football history. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's a beast. Honestly, I'm. I, I and, love him. Uh, what 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 year was he picked? Or I believe he's a year four player right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think he is in a contract year. Excellent. Um, who do we have playing center? Evan Brown, was he hurt today? No, he was in there. He got back, but he was out for a couple games, Eric. He was a free agent signing. He's actually been surprisingly good this year, but um, he's been hurt. We had Timmy from Michigan come in and play, and he was actually – Timmy, the rookie, extremely highly decorated college football player. We all know that doesn't necessarily translate exactly to the pros from any college sport, but 
we seem to be decent there. I, here's the thing, Eric, is I think our line's actually kind of decent, but the defensive lines are so good nowadays that a decent offensive line might not be good enough to hold the fort. But if you want to go into it, I think there's other reasons that the offensive line is struggling. And it's just kind of a whole... I mean, football is the ultimate team sport. If everyone's not playing well, you know, one person messes the play up, the play goes to crap, so... Yeah. But, I mean, we've seen this game today. You know, I mean, we got beat on both sides of the line terribly. Uh, Gino made some poor decisions, but he was hurried all game long um that's what i'm trying to get at is okay so abrams is is that his name abrams or adams or uh our right echo guy abraham lucas thank you i'm uh, forgive me everybody so he's been out all year every other week we've had at least one or two guys out is that what you're telling me yeah basically so we haven't got a chance to get any cohesion there. Yeah. And to kind of circle back to what Tyler was saying about how good defensive lines are nowadays and a decent one not being enough, a decent one is definitely not going to be enough with absolutely zero continuity or, you know, consistency in the lineup. We've had probably top five most offensive lineup or offensive line lineups this year, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So we can't look at the the offense and say that the offensive line has been really successful, can we? Um, I mean, I would say that most most teams probably would not have the record we have with a makeshift offensive line all year. For sure. Sure. I'm not blaming anybody, Tyler. Uh, do you agree, or would you give that a up or a down for the offensive line as far as performance? I would probably grade them as a C or a C minus this year, and I think that there are contributing factors around them that's hurt them. They haven't been terrible because they've been pretty good in spots, and all it takes is one bad block, and that's all the fans are going to remember if your quarterback gets creamed or your running back gets stuffed. It's a very thankless position in sports, but they surely haven't been good. To say that they're anything but above a C would kind of be fooling yourself. Right on the beam there. Might be balance, might not. Tyler, what's the position in offense you would like to break down and talk about? Well, it's hard for me to truly... Okay, here's the thing. Everybody on social media and the internet and whatnot, they want to just point to one reason things are going wrong. But it's everything right now our offensive play calling is seems either very rudimentary predictable it doesn't seem like there's a ton of creativity for the most part and then a huge factor uh that's that's really really hurting the team and maybe it is the offensive line but we're not running the ball well and then we're not running the ball well, so we're having to do more traditional drop-back passes. Geno's stats when he's running a play-action pass versus just a traditional drop-back is pretty staggering. He is very normal to below average 
when he's just straight dropping back, you run a play action fake and he's about as good as it gets. We are also not getting nearly the explosive plays down the field to Tyler or DK or even the explosive plays in the running back we saw with Ken Walker long runs and before he got hurt and he's now on the Eagles not on our team but Rashad Penny had a lot of long runs also it's really hard to go 10-15 plays to score a touchdown multiple times per game in the NFL you gotta pick up some chunk plays and what I'm worried really worried about Eric is if teams are playing there's two deep safeties or any sort of pass coverage looks and they can still stop the run or at least contain the run the Seahawks offense is going to be in really big trouble overall you you have to put teams in a bind you have to put them in the in a bind I if you're a hitter I I have to be guessing on the pitch if you're a defense you need them to be guessing on what your play call is and right now it kind of seems like nothing is working we're and obviously today absolutely showed itself. No, and I get that. And that's that's some great information. And that's kind of what I'm picking at. But I would argue that uh, I would argue that even if it's the whole team that has a problem as a as somebody who wants to get to the root of each problem would be to break them up into groups and talk about them and figure out what is their relationship to the losing, um, which would, I mean, Indy, can you pick one and, and give me a reason why it's a problem, whether it be quarterback or running backs or wide receivers or what do you see, bud? Uh, I think a big a big issue that has shown itself in the past couple of weeks, past four specifically, has have been like a miscommunication between Gino and the receivers. There's been a few of his interceptions that are definitely not his fault. A receiver doesn't finish his route, you know, like runs a different one than that was called, something like that, and, and just results in something dis disastrous. I think that's something that you can't really have as a consistent problem in the NFL. Like, you're at the highest level of the game. You cannot go out there and be on a different page than, than your guys as a quarterback. You can't. And as a receiver, it's also your responsibility to be on the same page as your quarterback and to know your routes, to know the play that you're running. You know what I mean? So if you can't straighten that out, you don't deserve to go far in the playoffs. You don't deserve to win your division. You don't deserve to win football games if you can't even – figure out how to be on the same page as your teammates okay okay so tyler that and that's great info uh also india i'm really appreciate listening to your guys's answers um so tyler you're the only one who's brought up coaching and and when it's brought up in in mariners land it's like oh my god they're baseball players they don't get to the major league level without knowing how to do their job but coaching's super important in football i mean it it it's still a coach's sport. It's different than baseball, guys. Uh, tell me, is it is it the coaching that's ultimately responsible for this? Uh, is it is it something the players need to be directed to? What's going on? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you've got an. Uh, forgive me, forgive me. You've got an on. 
you've got an on-field general and then probably six offensive coaches, one who's the head of that department. What's happening? Well, I love how you said that because the quarterback is the field general out there. And I think that his superiors, the coaches, that is, they're whether the plan is bad or whether they're communicating the plan so the field general can execute the plan, something's getting lost in translation without question. Now, here's something interesting that I'm trying to put my finger on, Eric, is the Seahawks offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. This is his third season with the team. And so far this season, with the exception of today's game, they've gone down and scored and looked just so surgical with great precision, great punishing physical style, beautiful passes. They scored on every opening possession except for today. And that leads me to believe that our offensive coordinator, Waldron, is able to come up with a great opening plan. Now, as the game goes on, we seem to get worse and worse as the game goes on. And part of that to me signifies that he isn't able to make the adjustments on the fly the way other coaches might be able to. And this coach Waldron, I think he's done a good job in totality, but he is... I would say like a pupil or a disciple of this Shanahan McVeigh system that's spread across the league to so many teams. And if you're really just a pupil or the disciple, you might know the basics on how to start the system, how like how the order of the plays, what plays you want to run against different coverages, what plays you want to run against different schemes. But it's that next level that we need to see him get to where the really great coaches figure it out on the fly. They notice these tendencies and they're able to expose them as the game goes on. So I'm a little worried about that. But the bottom line is, is well, I think Gino has something like a nine to eight touchdown to interception ratio. One of my favorite football quotes is by Peyton Manning. And he says, as the quarterback, the second you release that ball, you sign the check. So there's been a lot of receiver mistakes out there, but it's ultimately on the quarterback to protect the football. And I feel that there's some sort of miscommunication or lack of execution between our offensive play caller and our field general, Geno Smith, and that absolutely needs to get cleaned up. When you think about it, Eric, I almost feel that the Seahawks are they're not lucky to be 5-3 and because they've played their balls off. The defense, except for today and maybe against the Lions, have been really good this year. But we're really bad on third downs. We're really bad in the red zone. And if we're throwing too many picks and turning the ball over, teams don't win consistently if you're poor in all three of those areas. What would you rather watch? At Mariners 18 strikeout game or today's game? I mean, both these teams can be so frustrating with their offensive woes. Uh, this team, I mean, they... I mean, just what we saw today was just garbage. And the last four weeks that I've been watching, 
the team closely uh, when we talked about doing this pe- uh, podcast has been just misery broken <laughs> up with shades or 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 just brilliance occasional brilliance and then just this oh my god the most boring thing you can watch um come on seattle get your act together i we're gonna give defense a pass aren't we indy what do you think i think thank you uh we're gonna give d a pass this week let's talk about the quarterback i have never been a big fan of geno smith yeah i mean like uh like tyler said it feels like Shane Waldron doesn't know how to adjust when when things, you know, when when the going gets tough. And I don't know if that is affecting Gino's confidence in himself. Because I mean, if we see that, you don't think Gino sees that, you know? Yeah, but I'd argue, Andy, and not to be a butt, but I would argue, you know, Gino's professional's been in the league ten years. Um it's his responsibility to have his act together. And that's what I would say. Absolutely. Um, you know, isn't it Absolutely. on Gino? And hasn't Gino had just confident problems in general? And isn't it weird that every time we get close to scoring, things get really hard? Yeah, but I, I, I'm... That's 50% on play calling. Okay. I mean, if if you know your offensive line is struggling, you know you're playing against the top defense in the league and you're not getting creative then you're not doing everything you can to put your guys in position to win yeah you know your offensive line is getting beat over and over and over again and you're not changing anything you're not switching anything up you're not giving them any fancy looks anything to make them a little bit confused you're just throwing a tight end in the backfield and praying that it's enough it was a tough game. It was tough. It was really a tough game. It was. Can I lay out how bad it was for you really quick, Eric? Just because you, you know I love looking at these things. And the eye test, oh, my gosh. If I was a Ravens fan, I would have been, like, starting around my living room with my chest out, yelling. And instead, my wife started listening to one of her audiobooks because I was probably getting a little bit frustrated But check this out, fellas, and this is why I do want to take this Baltimore game and hope it's an anomaly because I just trashed on Geno and Waldron, the offensive coordinator, but they did put together a game-winning drive in the last minutes just last week at home. So it's not like they've been all bad, but, I mean, this was an epic beatdown that I hope we can throw away. Baltimore had 29 first downs. We had six. We were 1-for-12 on third down conversions. They were 6-of-13. They ran 75 plays, and we ran 47. Now, this is just silly. It's like playing Madden on easy. Baltimore had 515 total yards, and we had 151. They had 298 rushing yards, and we had 28 I guess the more I'm thinking about it, guys, is this was such an epic beatdown. I might just, at the end of the season, we might just throw this one away and say sometimes you get crushed and the Seahawks are better than what they showed. I just want to go back to Geno really quick, though, Eric. I think his ceiling's probably pretty low, and you know I've compared him to Marco Gonzalez before, and maybe that's what he is. He's a fifth starter. Um... 
in the starting baseball rotation. He's going to get shelled a few times a year, but you hope that he's good enough to keep you in the ball game to win at the end. He is certainly not the type of quarterback like a John Elway or a Dan Marino that can carry you. He needs his team to help carry him, and he can kind of be the cherry on the Sunday, I guess. And that's kind of why I'm pushing to talk about the line, and I'm pushing to talk about the – we haven't talked about the wide receivers or the quarterbacks yet. Early, You know, Gino causes a lot of controversy, and once I get in my mind I don't like a guy – or not necessarily don't like him. It's not that I don't like him. It's just I don't have confidence that he is the guy to take us where I'd like to go, uh, is better said. Um, you know, it's hard for me to turn that page back. And I've been wrong before, but, you know, Gino just doesn't have that clutch factor. There's a reason he sat second fiddle on the bench for years and years. Um, he's got the talent to do it. Um, but he just, you know, not, and it's he's not the first guy. There's been several. I don't have a list of them, but, I mean, we look at the trouble that uh, Darnold has had. We look at the trouble that uh, Mayfield has had. Um, we look at the trouble some of these other quarterbacks have had. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just don't. I see it all with this offensive line and the quarterback really, that's uh, where I see this team. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, what's their record, Tyler? Five and three. So it's it's not horrible. We're still in a good position. We just, recent history, we got annihilated today. So that's on the top of the mind. And I, I think I heard that, it, uh, Indy, if you, maybe you heard what I said uh, or heard what I heard was that uh, this may be, Pete Carroll's worst blowout. There was a terrible blowout the first year he was here by the Giants, um, but this may be his worst blowout, uh, Andy. What do you say? Yeah, it's definitely one of the most just demoralizing losses I've experienced as a Seahawks fan and during Pete Carroll's tenure for sure. Like when the Padres beat us 16-8, to eight, right? I mean, it was like, oh, my God, please get over Ladies and gentlemen, a football game is like seven baseball games. So, you know, they're more important. And we see a lot of folks that have the football mindset and try to bring it over to baseball and it doesn't work. And and neither vice versa. Uh, they're two different games. Uh, go Seahawks. Was there anything else you wanted to add about? We can talk about the D maybe next week. Uh, or we can talk about it now. What do you say, Andy? Oh, we can talk about it next week. I mean, they played their butts out i mean they were on the field for 40 minutes so we'll go in depth on them next week i'm kind of neutral on the running back situation i'm kind of uh neutral on the uh receiver do you are you seeing anything out of the receiver crews that they're doing wrong or are they not putting the effort they need to tyler minus a player two they've been really good and wide receiver is such a dependent position anyways I'm sure there's a lot of times where the guys could be open, but, you know, the pass rush is there in two to three seconds. So if your quarterback doesn't see that guy right away, you're just going to miss him. I just want to say Gino's not terrible, and I know I already just mentioned this, Eric, but while I kind of look at him like a Marco Gonzalez, you don't want to get rid of him, but you sure as shit want to be looking 
for a Castillo or a Kirby type. You just aren't going to throw away a guy that can help you win, even if he's only a fifth starter, until you find someone else that's that much better. That's so much easier said than we've done, as we know. As we know, it is really tough to find a top-level quarterback for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a crapshoot, and the odds are against you, even when you pick, unless you could pick in the top five to ten, um, you're, and even then you strike out. Um, let's not forget. Uh, but... Um, you know, these later round picks, these Russell Wilson picks and stuff like that, there's a lot of luck in that. Just they observed it. They saw something other teams didn't do. If they were, if the Seahawks were so special at evaluating talent, they would have a Richard Sherman and a uh, uh, Russell Wilson every year. That's nothing to put, you know, I'm not trying to put them down there. It's just hard to evaluate talent and get the guys that you need and want. Um, I got to be honest with you guys. There's a reason I went right after this offensive line, and it's because they got the tar beat out of them. And you can't expect to run any sort of offense without a, a decent, stable offensive line. They can't push the ball to run it, and they can't protect Geno. Geno's sometimes look like he's standing around with a bouquet of flowers, looking around, and and they'll swat the ball out of his hand. He's not even, you know, and it's just on the ground, and it's like just a mess. Just the worst performance you ever seen. It's not on the backs. It's not on the wide receivers. It's not on the tight ends. It's on the, although the tight ends might, could help blocking a little bit. It's on the line. It's on Geno. And now I've been informed that it's on coaching also. So uh, uh, we still got to be first place in, in the division, even if San, and San Francisco wins. A time to lick your wounds. Um, you're not going to win everyone, but today was a beatdown. I think we're in second in the yeah, division now, are we? Are we? Where are we at in the division? I think we're second. We're tied right now. We're both five and three. San Francisco didn't play this week. I think week. they have a better conference record or division record than us. They're listed as the first place team, yeah. so they certainly have the tiebreaker, whichever it may be. Yeah. yeah, there's a tiebreaker that counts more coming up here in a couple weeks, and then oh, a couple yeah. more weeks after that. We'll have it all decided or figure out whether it's a split. Yep, we're about to go on an um, NFC gauntlet run. Well, today wasn't a very good look. No. If it's anything like today, you might not hear from me for a few weeks. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, that's the Seahawk portion of the of the show. Where we start with Mariners, and then we go to... S Today we're going to Seahawks, and then I want to talk Husky football too. And and some of you might say, "Okay, I'm dad, I'm out of here. I follow the Ducks, or I follow um, the Montana schools, or Alaska schools, or we love to have you here at Casuals Corner." But the West Western Washington guys, uh, we want to talk Husky football. And Tyler, if there's anybody who knows Husky football, it's it's you and your family. Tell me about what you saw this week. <laughs> well, Eric, it was exactly how the fans and the wise guys in Vegas and all the analysts would have predicted. You're in Arizona, so it's fitting, my friend. It was a good old Wild West shootout. I mean, we're talking over 1,000 total yards in the game, nearly 100 points scored between the two teams. It was a back-and-forth 
offensive slugfest. The Huskies managed to pull it out. And I think the main reason they were the ones to able to come out on top when both defenses gave up over 500 total yards, both defenses gave up over 40 points, was the Huskies were much more physical on the offensive line compared to USC. The Huskies, so far, under new coach, second year, Kalen DeBoer and star quarterback Michael Penix they're known for a high flying passing attack but they absolutely punished the Trojans on the ground for 316 rushing yards Dylan Johnson starting running back had the game of his life with 256 rushing yards and four touchdowns Penix had a great game like he normally does but we absolutely <laughs> it's funny we were just talking all this trash about the Seahawks O-line but this victory to me absolutely the first guys we have to applaud is the Huskies offensive line yeah Washington Huskies representing the 360 also out there not only you two, 206 people what are you up there are you 452 or something yeah I am 425 four, we're <laughs> what probably 30 miles north or so you, you know you're northwest Eric <laughs> yeah he's, he's Tyler's the closest one uh, the rest of us have uh, run away um, paint the picture for me where was it at how did it go I want you to save some of the panic stuff India I want you to talk about him in just a little bit but paint the picture for me Tyler what happened in this game how did it flow how did it go well, right from the get-go, both teams were, it was in L.A., just a beautiful, picturesque type of L.A. evening. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon down in Southern California. ESPN slash ABC had their number one commentating crew and production team out for that game so all the bells and whistles and camera angles and everything you love about an awesome college football game on tv was there on the broadcast and then the sun starts going down into a cool beautiful night as you guys are both aware la stadiums don't always sell out but it was a packed crowd at SC. A ton of them were Huskies fans. And I think you guys might remember, and I didn't really understand it at the time as a Seahawks fan, but how many times your defensive lineman gets so close to that quarterback and he's able to spin around, dodge and weave, and run away, and you just slap your couch like, oh, we had him. And that's what USC star quarterback Caleb Williams did over and over and over. The Huskies were able to get a couple of strip sacks, one right before halftime, one right at the end of the game. Eric, it was just your classic back-and-forth battle. I mean, it was such a shootout. The Huskies scored 28 points alone in the second quarter. You know, they're, they're starting running back, 26 carries, almost 10 yards a pop. I mean, that's literally, you can't even do that on a video game. That's so impressive. Um, so one thing to take note, 
the USC defensive coordinator got fired today, Eric. That's the kind of performance it was. USC struggled on defense all year, even though they have such an amazing offense. And the Huskies took it to them. Picture this. So in the NFL, we know teams can lose five, six, seven games maybe and still have an opportunity to win the Super Bowl. If they can, all you need to do is make the playoffs. If you lose one or two games, your your championship aspirations are done in college football. So the intensity of each game is really something else. And I was on the edge of my seat texting my brother, calling my brother, and epic, epic college football game. I, there's a reason, Eric, my first two sports fandom loves were the Seattle Mariners and the Washington Huskies. College football's awesome. Yeah, I was so happy to find out you guys are Husky fans too. And, I, you know, of course, you got to be proud of uh, – you know, we remember 92 and, um, you know, when we uh, won that national championship and all that went on there. And uh, and we remember, uh, what was it, 16 or 14 when we, we got to the playoffs. There are over 120 teams for sure that play instead of 30 that compete for the national championship. I might be off on those numbers, but it's a huge number of teams that are actually eligible to be number five, to be representing the West Coast. That's your Washington Huskies. They are led by a fantastic quarterback. Really reminds me of Warren Moon. And I, I want to ask Indy about this first, but uh, Tyler, if you get a chance, also tell me what you remember about Warren Moon and uh, what you think about... Uh, uh, our quarterback at Washington this year, uh, the last name is Penix. Tell me about him, Indy. This guy's a stud. And I really feel like because of how deep this draft is at the quarterback position that he might be a little bit more overlooked than he should be. Although his performance against a team and an opponent like Caleb, a team like USC and an opponent like Caleb Williams, a performance like that definitely puts you on the map a little bit more. But, I mean, he's leading the NCAA in passing yards. He's top 15 in completion percentage. He's top 10 in attempts, top 7 in completions. He is top 10 in pass. He's top 6 in passing yards per attempt, and he's third in passing touchdowns. I mean, he's big. He's he's right there in, in in every important stat as a quarterback. He's right there in the top. He looks like a linebacker. He does. He looks like a like a brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wears those pads all around him, and I mean, you, you know, you could just look at this guy and say this guy's an athlete, and uh, he he just been really uh, you know working together uh, with their coaching and the game flows have just been spectacular haven't they indy yeah absolutely i mean he is commanding that offense like a professional can you give me the washington huskies record then at this time indy they are nine and oh son how about it tyler <laughs> nine and oh it's so fun, Eric, and to see the turnaround, too, because the Huskies program 
after Chris Peterson stepped away and Jimmy Lake, their D coordinator, took over, it was a complete disaster to the point that the coach got in huge hot water and was probably one of the factors to him getting fired after only one season in charge. It was he ended up like shoving a player on the sidelines. That's how much disarray, chaos, and just lack of leadership, lack of direction. The Huskies were in complete disarray just two years ago. They bring in Caleb DeBoer, and I had never heard of him, to be honest. He was one of the winningest D2 or D3 coaches ever. I mean, we're talking his career records like 90 and 10, something ridiculous like that. But as we know, guys in D2 and D3 don't get the same opportunities at guys that are already at D1 programs. He goes to Fresno State. He was the OC at Indiana, and that was his connection to Penix. Was Penix was his quarterback at Indiana while he was the OC. He gets the head coaching gig at UW brings in Penix, and they had a heck of a year last year. They beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl. They only lost, I want to say, two to three games last year. Right now, they're 9-0. and I couldn't say enough about the turnaround from the utter debacle it was just a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... 11-2 and two last year. Great. Yeah. I mean... We we're really blessed to have a good year going for them, and and uh, we really root for these young people. and And college ball is is so different than the NFL. If you if you really pay attention, because you'll see super long runs all the time. You'll see you'll te- you'll see teams completely dominate other teams, kind of a la today's game with Seattle Seahawks. Um, and you you just get to see these athletes just overwhelm. The majority of top athletes in the country you'll see stars out of them too so um anything else we you know i always remember husky stadium in the 90s just walking my way up that thing and uh having a good old time it's been many years since i've been there um but uh we we always root for the huskies anything to add on them guys no not necessarily I think the Seahawks should take a deep look at Penix Jr., especially because he's going to fall in the draft. Uh, One thing I noticed, Eric, that made me really happy is I've been so nervous about is what's his mobility and throwing on the run. He had a couple incredible throws on the run, including one to the deep corner of the end zone on a dead sprint, on a dime to his tight end. DB's all over the place. How do you fit it in there? Uh, I'm bullish on him. Their offensive line is outstanding for the most part, especially at the college level, that is. Their number one wide receiver, Roma Doomsie, is regarded as a possible top 10 pick in this next draft. It's just been really fun. And you're right, Eric. There, it, It's so fun at Husky Stadium. The only thing I'm jealous of is Indy going into SEC land because going to a game down there, that's definitely some bucket list material. It's going to be insane. <laughs> I want to go to the racetracks back there. 
Shit. Uh, I want to go to Tar Darlington and I want to go to Bristol and uh, um one day one day. Yeah, Bristol could definitely happen. That would be fun. That would be yeah, fun. We'd have a places places to stay for people to stay and everything out there. Dark, my my girlfriend's grandparents live out in Bristol and they got extra rooms. That's awesome. That's awesome. We should, yeah. Well, we'll see what comes around the corner one of these Me years. Ty will get you um, out there on the golf course with us, Eric. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, um, you know, when in Rome. So, uh, hey, thank you guys. I've had a wonderful time. Uh, we we're gonna we've talked to baseball, and now we're talking our football. And and thank you guys for hanging on to this far in the show. Uh, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Indy, uh, for production and uh, Tyler for for uh, broadcast help and helping us get the story out to you folks. I've had a great time. This is Casuals Corner. My name's Eric Morrow. Have a good day. Have a good evening. Bye bye. <laughs>